Hi, this is Jean Bruce Scott and Randy Reinholz. And when we're not busily producing some of the most outstanding Native American theater in Los Angeles, we always like to check out the best of British audio adventures with Alex Lefchuk and his team of the Midweek Drive and Midweek Drive Morning Editions on Siren FM and Southside Broadcasting. Podbean.com.
trying to understand why Billy stands But then he mumbles in his coffee and he suddenly roars It's a rap tragedy And we been On the Madrid Drive, we're going to be looking at uh, health for gambling addiction in Lincolnshire. We're going to be looking at uh, Veganuary. Yes, Veganuary. It's still there. And you can also, courtesy of a well-known supplier, receive vegan-based fish and chips, vegan steak and kidney pies, and a vegan full English breakfast, as well as, of course, a vegan roast. Uh, In addition to that, we've also got some uh, fascinating insight in terms of why young people between 18 and 25 should not feel that they're invincible when it comes to the COVID-19. So that's still to come. But to take us around to that on this fabulous day, launching the whole sequence, we have got time for another Tipperary tale. I think we're actually at episode eight as far as the audio tales are concerned, although a bit of an an adventure seems to be sort of going into all sorts of ways. Jenny Finch, welcome back. Um, What exciting things will you be updating the listener with now? Well, thank you, Alex. Yes, and welcome back, all of you. I'm sorry about the hiatus. Uh, A few things happened, which we'll get to soon. But here we go. I said a few posts ago, the house seemed a long way out in the country, and it is. This has some very good things. There are no noisy neighbours, for example, apart from occasional tractors hurrying past and the cows in the... There's a large large gravel forecourt. The dogs aren't up at the windows, shouting at passers-by every few minutes either. At night, the skies are full of stars, and during the days, the garden and woods are full of birds. It is calm, peaceful, and very lovely. It also has some drawbacks, of course. There is main electricity, though it does especially in stores. Our water comes from a well just outside the back door that feeds the taps. Those of you with fertile imaginations should banish the picture of a ye oldie-woldy well with thatched roof and a bucket. This is an underground borehole, and at the moment, if the electricity goes off, so does the pump, leaving us with no water. We're hoping to remedy this by fitting a solar pump soon. In the meantime, if it looks too bad, we fill flasks and a bucket or two just in case. ESB, the electrical network here, are very efficient and they have a website to report and check outages. On the other hand, the fact this is constantly showing outages, repairs and ongoing problems suggests the basic infrastructure may be a bit shaky. I think this may mean it is developing the network in more and more remote places. Unlike the UK, they're not fighting a battle with decaying and outdated infrastructure when they underwent industrialization early. 
I recall a recent incident in Saltburn where apparently moles, yes, moles, were blamed for bringing down power lines to half the town. There is, of course, no mains drainage. So that is a bit of a learning curve for us. And so is the water, actually. The house has been empty for several years and routine maintenance has been rather neglected. We didn't know about things like salt tablets for the water. In fact, when we found out, we got a 25 kilo bag of salt and had no idea where it went. The kettle was encrusted with limescale in two days and everything had to be scrubbed clean, it was so bad. I was starting to panic, wondering just how bad the water was before our builder stepped in to help. There's a softener unit in the shed, we discovered. Once we shoveled a seemingly vast amount of tablets in, the water was greatly improved. In fact, it's now so soft that plates slide out of your hands if you're not careful. There's very little gas network in Ireland and our heating is supplied by an oil-fired boiler. Lurking in the shed, it gobbles fuel and emits a steady miasma of fumes. This is a step up from the immersion heater in the cottage where there was no hot water at all for an hour or so after getting up in the morning, but it's not ideal. It was efficient enough in the winter, but there's no way to have hot water without running the heating too. And this will be a bit much in the summer. So we are also having our own gas tank fitted and a new boiler. There's a lot I don't miss too much, but instant hot water, that's priceless. Speaking of the shed, this is one of the bonuses that came with the house. Most properties have similar buildings out in the country in Ireland, but ours is bigger than many. It is old, probably as old as the original cottage area. It also needs a lot of work, though it's surprisingly weatherproof. On arrival, we put many of the boxes and some furniture in there, and there's no water damage or damp at all. One end houses the fuel tanks, fumes and all, the boiler and the water softener. But this will all go soon, opening up a large and light area. Once the roof is strengthened, the solar panels will go up, facing south to harvest the light. And we have plans for the rest of the space. We have christened it the Hotel Majestic, as the shed key came with one of those big labels hotels use to stop visitors going off with them. It's a bit short of majestic at present, but the space and the light are both fantastic. In Saltburn, Jackie had a little workshop for her stained glass projects. Here we have a wonderful area for her to fit out and use as she wishes. We are collecting old pallets to reuse and make into benches and storage for the glass. Some of the glass made it to Ireland, more by luck than any help from the movers, but a lot was left behind by them and will need to be replaced. Still, we will source what we need and make it truly majestic. Yes, there's a lot to do way out in the country, but once we have the basics in place, I think it'll be just fine. We were under lockdown almost as soon as we arrived and it would have been easy to feel isolated, especially so far out in the countryside. 
In fact, the wide open spaces proved to keep us rather busy. A combination of warm weather in March and the infamous rain led to an explosion in the garden. The grass shot up and with it a swathe of dandelions and primroses. We had no intention of attempting to create a traditional lawn. Apart from anything else, most grass in Ireland grows mixed in with moss. We used the new strimmer round the primroses, avoided the biggest clumps of dandelions and left it for the bees. I say the new strimmer as when we arrived, we were rather short on garden tools. As previous owners of a 10 foot square yard, we had just one trowel. Derek, the mover, looked at it and said, I think you're going to need a bigger spade. He was right, of course. In fact, apart from food shopping and the occasional book, most of our expenditure has been on tools and garden hardware. A lot of our DIY tools were left behind by the idiot movers and had to be replaced, but we never needed a hedge trimmer or reciprocating tree saw, tree loppers, lawn mower, heavy duty clippers. The list seems endless. As did the task ahead as we ventured into the woods to take stock. It had been sadly neglected over the years. There were a lot of trees, ash, beech, alder, willow, hawthorn and oak, all jumbled up together. The brambles had grown in from the boundaries as far as 15 feet in places. The grass of up to five years was packed across the few open spaces and walking was dangerous. I tried to get to the back of the plot, but the whole surface gave way suddenly. My leg plunged knee deep into the undergrowth, leaving me struggling to move and very thankful there are no snakes in Ireland. I looked around focusing on one tree at a time. Each one was choked with brambles, ivy and sticky weed. The weight of these parasites was pulling down the tree branches and sucking the life from them, as was the anklet of moss around each trunk. A large number of trees had obviously already succumbed, but we decided to wait for summer to see how many showed signs of life. We had a conference around the kitchen table. Each tree would need to be cleared of weeds and ivy, old and new. But this depended on reaching them in the first place, something currently almost impossible. It was off to the hardware shop again. We not only had the wood to contend with, we also had the piece of land behind the majestic. This had huge piles of tree roots, earth, and building rubbish scattered around it, far too heavy for us to move. I had eyed several mounds with suspicion, wary of tackling them. As a crime writer, my first thought was, perhaps there was a body under there. In fact, there was something worse, rats. Having rats in England is a source of shame. Only dirty or unlucky or poor people have rats. It's different in Ireland, especially anywhere outside the few main cities. Everyone has rats. Every year, the shops fill up with traps, bait boxes and various poisons. 
everyone has a favorite method for catching them. They prefer the grain to the blocks, we were told. Use peanut butter, they can't resist it. Fix the blocks so they have to eat them and not carry them off. I was talking to the store owner on a visit to the cottage and he nodded and said, oh, I had three round my bird table, waited till they got down and shot them. I was impressed. Did you use an air rifle? I asked. He blinked at me and shut his head. Nah, he said, shotgun. I hate rats as much as the next person, but somehow that doesn't seem very sporting. I began to watch our bird feeder and sure enough, early in the evening, I spotted a rat up at the seed hanger. I was so incensed, I shot out of the back door, seized a metal cutoff and raced across the lawn to the back wall. I was yelling and going the full Maori warrior. The rat heard me and sat up. He stared for an instant and made a dash for a hole in the wall. I don't know who was more relieved he made it, me or him. Well, Mr. Ratty, we'll be ready for you next time. But maybe we just need to get on with all of our friends in many ways. How would Wind in the Willows have ever actually sort of developed if people have had that sort of attitude? And I do hope, Jenny, you're not going to actually start Ooh. taking to shotguns and various other bits and pieces. Remember, you're in Ireland, not <laughs> Middle America. I'm just saying. Uh, so it's, uh, it's looking good then um, in terms of the adventures. How can people actually continue to follow your blog and various other matters as well as far as the adventures of Jenny is concerned in Tipperary? Well, the blog uh, reached 40 episodes out of the 12 I was originally going to write. And uh, in the new year, I changed it to every fortnight. So slightly longer with some photographs, but every fortnight. And it's on Jenny Finch, J-E-N-N-I-E Finch, dot me dot UK. And you can access all the episodes there as you wish along with any writing or television news as it comes up
Now, it's often said that the best way to actually make a killing when you're actually dealing with gambling is simply not to bet. And that might well be easier said than done, of course, because uh, when we look at a recent finding that suggests that more men in the East Midlands have been coming forward to speak to local advisors about their gambling issues than women, uh, with more than a quarter seeking help in the East Midlands, being between 26 and 35 years old, clearly there are issues and challenges here. Uh, so to talk us through some of the ways in which this gambling support can actually be sought out and indeed hopefully uh, provide some help and assistance with this. We're delighted to welcome uh, GamCare local therapist Nicola O'Neill. How are you Nicola? I'm good thank you Alex, thanks for having us on today. Always a, a pleasure. Now Nicola, one of the things that's obviously very challenging with respect to this is we hear a great deal about gamble responsibly, gamble responsibly etc but there are a whole range of things whereby people are almost encouraged by the mass media to gamble irresponsibly. And there are lots of issues that can create challenges with respect to this. So would you like to just talk us through, the, the, first of all, how much of a, a major issue is gambling within the East Midlands? And is it a male thing? Is it a female thing? Is it a case of actually it doesn't really matter what gender uh, it can affect people uh, as a, a, a problem, whatever your um, condition? Yeah, so I mean, I think what we find in the East Midlands is really um, sort of what we find nationally um, in terms of, uh, you know, the figures sort of um, presenting, you know, male versus female in terms of who comes forward uh, for support and help. But yeah, we, we absolutely see um, all age ranges, all types, if you like. Um, um, we, we do um, have a lot of women come through, which is great. Um, I think percentage wise, you know, that that figure isn't um, quite the same, but we see um, all age groups um, represented and whether it's um, people living within families, um, within couples, um, people that are older, retired even. Um, there's not really one type, um, I wouldn't say, I think, um, for the past 15 years or so working, um, you know, with people struggling with gambling related issues um, and those impacted by someone else's gambling. Um, we've worked with all, all types of age ranges and, and individuals. And I don't think anyone listening today needs to think that there's, you know, do they fit into the type or are they the person that should be reaching out for support? Say that um, if gambling is causing you any issue, then, you know, we're, we're the service for you. People might be listening to this either uh, before Blue Monday, the official time of the year where effectively we're at our lowest, or indeed after Blue Monday where we might be hopefully getting slightly better. But why have you actually chosen this particular time to, to actually launch this campaign, Nicola? Is it a case of literally um, you know, people if they're in problems with gambling as well as all the other challenges that we're faced with, this is where really assistance is required? Yeah, I think this is when people might be feeling uh, that pinch that a little bit more, right? Because uh, like I say, we're coming um, after Christmas. So we've all got that post-Christmas sort of fatigue sometimes. You know, it feels um, a bit gloomy out there sometimes in January. We're approaching, you know, what the statisticians call the Blue Monday, where it's all going to be sort of the, the hardest day for us to get through. So if we're um, experiencing any um, sort of, you know, winter blues or, and financial insecurity may be created by um, sort of Christmas pressures. Uh, we would probably identify that those that are, are maybe, you know, struggling with gambling are, as well as that. Um, this might be a difficult month. It's, it's a long wait till payday um, for, for most of us. You know, we might get paid earlier with the Christmas month and um, it's a long wait then uh, getting to the end of January for the next um, next payday. So that's sort of one of the features really um, and also that we know that the gambling really um, is sort of like a hidden harm that people might not be talking about it to other people. So 
it is really about reaching out to say there is a support service out there um, and that you can get in touch and you can chat to somebody about this. And, um, you know, we are available. The National Problem Gambling Helpline is um, available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So whenever the best time for you is, um, there'll be somebody there to, to talk you, you know, talk to you about how you're struggling. Now, clearly, we've also got strap lines such as when the fun stops, stop. That, again, might be easier said than done. But I'm, I'm intrigued by the, the five um, signs that possibly indicate that there is a challenge in the family or with somebody actually in terms of gambling. They become withdrawn. Their mood changes. They don't have sleeping problems. Clearly, their financial signs, money going missing from bank accounts and so on, are indeed people lying. I mean, is it a bit like any addiction that people can kind of get into habits which are clearly bad habits but they just don't know how to break them yeah i think breaking the cycle is is key really isn't it that you know for whatever reason this has developed um and become um problematic for the person and then how do they find a way um forward with that um so yeah so you know the different signs of maybe being preoccupied um how it's affecting somebody's mood they're becoming maybe withdrawn um you know, the, the sort of covering up um, the financial situation. So, you know, trying not to be found out for, for what's happened and, you know, trying to sort of maybe get themselves out of that situation. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that they are sort of some of the signs and symptoms for people to look out for. I know that um, those that are impacted and affected by someone's gambling might not even know that they're gambling, right? So um, it is really um, key for them to sort of... Um, you know, if they can have that conversation with them and, and maybe just say, is it is it getting out of control? Is it something you're struggling with? Um, but also, likewise, um, there's the, the support is available for those that are impacted and affected, um, as well as those that are struggling with the gambling. Are there signs of an improvement? I mean, or is it just a case of, well, with online gambling and all of the other factors related to that, even with setting betting limits and so on, uh, it seems to be a problem that uh, doesn't show any sign of going away? <laughs> Well, I think um, this past year there has been a really strong campaign um, running the Talk Band Stop campaign has been really effective. So people are encouraged to um, to call the helpline and then they're given information about the GAMBAN and the GAMSTOP um, self-exclusion tools. I think a lot of people are finding that really useful. Um, you know, if you are struggling with the fact that it's just so accessible that, you know, maybe it's just at the end of your, your fingertips because it's on your phone and it's just really um that availability is maybe what's you know increasing it as a problem for you and um, self-exclusion tools might be just the thing that you need um, to sort of take away that access and availability and to really reduce the risks. And as we said would you say that ultimately our GAM care and organizations like that are, are more than just a, an elastoplast on a dam burst I mean is, is there a sign that actually this can be a useful way of actually people turning the corner? Well, yeah, I mean, based on sort of the work that I've done over the past sort of 15 years or so, um, working with, like I say, a variety of, of people that have really, um, you know, found a way um, to stop and to, to move on from it, um, you know, talking it through, maybe sort of thinking about what the factors are that have sort of led them into that situation um, and, and sort of, you know, building up strategies to help themselves to reduce risks, to reduce the harms um, and, yeah, to move forward. We, we see a lot of um, people sort of really turning their lives around um, by coming into the local services and speaking to us. We just neatly round to how can people actually get in touch with Gamka either on their, on their own behalf or indeed on behalf of other folk? What's the best contact connection for you yourself? Yeah, so I'd say that for anyone, you know, don't sort of 
try and figure out where you live and where the local service is and, and you know, wonder if, if it's available to you. The, the best thing that you can do is to call the number 0808 8020 133. You'll come through to one of the advisors who um, can have that initial conversation with you. And if you want to then be supported um, more than that with um, the local services, they'll connect you to, you know, wherever your nearest local service is. Um, and for some people, it might be that that doesn't feel that that's the option for them. They might want something that, that feels a little different to that. So, I mean, visit the website, go to gamcare.org.uk. There's a, a whole raft of um, information and resources on there. And there's also an option for a live chat um, through the website. So there's lots of ways that people can connect um, and, and get support from the service, whatever sort of suits the individual, really. Claire O'Neill from Gamcare. Uh, many thanks indeed. And let's hope that uh, say, uh, we do see people uh, uh, breaking the, uh, the addiction and indeed getting into good habits as opposed to bad ones. Yeah, great stuff. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for your time today. So here we are, almost halfway through Veganuary. And how's it going? Are you actually making that change to actually help save the planet and so on? Well, um, if you are still worried and you're still concerned about, I can't possibly go vegan, I like my Sunday roast, I like my fish and chips, etc. Maybe there is actually a solution to that. We're delighted to welcome two fabulous folk to uh, share with us their own thoughts on this whole uh, side of things. First of all, TV chef extraordinaire Paul Rankin. How are you, Paul? I'm very well, thank you. Good morning. Excellent. And we've also got the Head of Product Development and Innovation at Co-op. That's the wonderful Michelle Rowley. How are you, Michelle? Good morning. I'm very well as well. Thank you. Excellent. So, Paul, uh, this particular uh, finding that basically it's the fear of actually losing out on traditional foods that actually people say, I can't do it. I just can't go vegan. I just miss my full English breakfast too much. Wow, that's a whole load of self-awareness right there, isn't it? <laughs> that sort of tells me they need a bit of support that they need sort of michelle's lovely uh developed products to you know to to give them a sort of vegan fish and chips or a vegan cottage pie or something to help get them through mm. i mean um, is, is this the case michelle that actually it's simply a case of we've got used to traditions being handed down to us and it's almost something which is almost traditionally British, basically, with people saying, no, I, 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 I could try, but at the end of the day, my Sunday roast is essential. I think so. I think um, look, we're, we're hearing from our customers in our research that, that 66% of, of people don't even want to try Veganuary because they're going to miss out on their real favourite dishes. And those real comforting classics as you go into the winter, like Sunday roast and fish and chips, are just a couple of examples. And that's why we keep adding innovation to our ranges at Co-op to make it really easy for our customers to find tasty alternatives so they don't have to fear missing out on things like fish and chips. So we've got some exciting products coming, coming out this January, like our vegan fish and chips with mushy peas and our no beef pie so that customers can do just that and still have tasty food. Paul, you're clearly the best person to go to when it comes to actually the, the taste difference from these side of things. And you've obviously got a son who's vegetarian, a daughter who's vegan and so on. Have they actually tried these products as yet? Have they passed the test? I'm not sure if they've actually tried Michelle's products, but uh, I know certainly they, they, they do eat sort of plant-based alternatives. I mean, I do think it's, it's really important. It doesn't matter whether you're trying to do a dry January or whether you're trying to build your exercise routine or 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 a yoga routine or something like that. It's important that you 
you kind of plan for it and you, you kind of support yourself and figure out how you can sort of see it through just as best you can. Don't beat yourself up if you don't make it all the way through January or if, you, if your New Year's routine isn't going exactly as planned. But just be kind to yourself and have a go. And, and certainly, you know, if you're missing your Sunday roast or your fish and chips, you know, those sort of products that Michelle's developed for the co-op are a really good support for something like this. But the vegan food is absolutely delicious. Uh, and, you know, you don't always need to, to take it back to the old British classics, you know? So ultimately, Michelle, is it all about a case of just being prepared to give these things a chance? And I'm going to ask you the question as well. Clearly, have you tried these yourself? Are you also happy with the whole thing? Or is it a case of, no, I might talk about product development, but I don't actually try them. <laughs> I have absolutely tried every single one of our, our range in, um, in Co-op Grow and the no fish and chips are absolutely delicious and we're getting some really great feedback from our, from our customers that will say the same. Um, okay. We make sure at Co-op we've got options, both convenient options like the fish and chips, but also ingredients that people can learn and try and cook themselves and we give people the information they need to be able to do that too. Well, actually, if you only knew how often these products are tasted when they're being developed. I mean, they're tasted and they go to panels and you taste them again well, and you make another tweak. Uh, it, 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 is, it is always critical. I mean, Paul, from that top five, shepherd's pie, full English breakfast, bangers and mash, Sunday roast and fish and chips, is there any one that you've always been particularly fond of or is it a case of no, I prefer something completely different? I am a kind of fish and chips man, I have to say, but... You know, yeah, I'm a fish and chips man. I haven't tried actually Michelle's fish and chips yet. I'm absolutely dying to try it. So um, I, I might be popping out to the court this afternoon for that. Yeah, well, it makes sense, of course. And obviously Lincolnshire uh, famed for certain fish and chip scenarios, but vegan fish and chips. Michelle, in terms of actually advice for people who are thinking about giving this a try, because clearly it is better for the planet. There's a big environmental issue here as well. What would your advice be? think give it a go um think about the foods that you love to eat now there's plenty of choice on the market now both in co-op and in restaurants and in places like fast food outlets so think about what you really like to eat think about the alternatives or actually try something new as well and we've got plenty of options for all of those i think what we're really proud of um at co-op is in the summer we made an industry first move. So now eating our vegan ranges are the same price as eating meat and dairy equivalents in store. So price is less of a barrier now too. That makes perfect sense. And, and Paul, is a veganism certainly something which when we reach, shall we say, the, the, the middle to the end of the 21st century, people will look back and really sort of wonder how we ever did anything other than eat vegan? I'm not sure it's going to get to that level. I mean, certainly for certain individuals, it, 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 it's, it's an absolute delight and it's a way of life to eat vegan. But I think one of the messages here is just perhaps try to eat less meat, uh, embrace something like veganuary if, if it suits uh, your life plan, how you want to live your life. Um, I think it's kind of about awareness and, and opening up your mind to other possibilities in life, which is always a healthy kind of thing, I think. 
Michelle, apart from heading off to the nearest branch of co-op, where can people actually go to to find out further information about this veganuary, uh, fabulous alternative ways of eating traditional British food? So of course, I would recommend people popping down to your local co-op to try uh, our delicious range now. But you can also go to co-op.co.uk for more information. Fantastic. Paul Arankin, TV chef extraordinaire, as we said, and Michelle Rowley, Head of Product Development and Innovation at the Co-op. Happy Veganuary. Thank you. All the best. <laughs> so here we are heading into another semester as far as university work is actually concerned and more. But what about that vaccine? What about that uh, double jab or indeed booster shot and so on? Uh, well, in keeping with obviously the majority of my colleagues, I believe I've actually had all three uh, from that point of view. And we're continuing to obviously deliver teaching and so on. However, what about young people in general? Should they get the booster shot? Why is it important for folk to get the booster shot and so on? Well, we're delighted to actually welcome Media Medic and indeed frontline doctor from A&E, of course, across the globe, but certainly in the UK, Dr. Kishan Badalia to us, uh, to us today. How are you, Kishan? Hi, thanks for having me again. Always good. Now, um, clearly we're at this situation whereby it is important to ensure that uh, everybody is actually vaccinated from that point of view. Uh, but just explain the science behind that, basically, because there is that sense, certainly when you are 18 or 22 or 24, 25, etc., think, I am invincible. Nothing can actually be my kryptonite. Well, that, maybe that's not the case, is it? That, that is not the case, but it, it's totally understandable why young people have that impression, because generally they do fight off a lot of infections that we're faced with, like the com common cold and other viruses out there. Most people who are fit and healthy and young can fight those off. Um, now, what we're, what we're seeing with, with COVID-19 is that young people are being admitted and it tends to be those who are unvaccinated, which suggests that actually COVID-19 can be more aggressive in some people. So um, myself being 27 years old in the bracket of the 18 to 34 year olds who I'm trying to encourage, I'd like to reassure people that um, the vaccine is safe and it is a thing that we all need to get to protect ourselves, but also the people around us. I mean, this has been one of the, the classic issues, of course, with uh, this particular vaccination campaign, far more so than historically other vaccination campaigns against polio, against flu shots and various other aspects. Is it all the fault of social media? Is it a case of mischief making, courtesy of uh, um, TikTok or uh, Snapchat and so on? It's interesting you ask that question because it's a thought I've been having a lot of recently and having spoken to patients who are young and haven't been vaccinated, they often say there's too much information out there, misinformation that overwhelms them and confuses them. And that's a big problem because they're seeing one thing on, on the TV, but then seeing something else in the news and then hearing different campaigns like these. So yeah, I think it's understandable that, there, that there's a lot of confusion out there. And then this combined with other reasons like a perceived lack of convenience for getting those vaccines, which is not true, um, and questions around the safety or um, or other concerns about side effects, it, it, the younger people just don't go and get their vaccines. So the aim of this campaign is to really set the record straight, give them the information that they need, answer any questions, um, and let them let them know how and where to get the vaccine. Uh, the Secretary of State for Health, of course, has uh, pretty much uh, gone on record as saying we're going to have to learn to live with this virus. Do you feel as though that is feasible, that's possible, or is there another pandemic round the corner that could just make uh, COVID-19 and Omicron uh, mild by comparison? 
just like the flu and other viruses out there, it's it's likely that we will have to live with COVID as part of society. We'll have to find ways of adapting. We also don't know what the nature of the virus will be. So at, at the beginning, it was very aggressive. And now, actually, even though cases are going up, we're finding less patients are being admitted. And on the whole, those who are vac vaccinated and being admitted, their infections aren't as severe. So it's possible that over time the virus might weaken, as has been suggested by some people recently. Um, but I, I, I do still think whilst we're unsure of this, we do take, have to take reasonable precautions. It's all of our responsibilities if we want to stay healthy and protect the people around us. So that might mean going to social events, but wearing a mask from time to time or um, social distancing and also having those vaccines. Well, certainly, as I say, one gets used to uh, seeing whole rows of uh, students with, with with masks being worn these days. Uh, I had a class this morning in which everybody, including myself, obviously was uh, was all masked up for the whole thing. So in interesting times indeed. But at least we're we're getting through it. Um, if people are, uh, are wanting to find out more genuine information, Kishan, and actually want to to delve a little bit deeper and find out uh, ways forward, would you recommend going to the NHS website? Yeah, that's it. I'd go to nhs.uk forward slash COVID vaccination and you can find out more information and book in for your jabs there. And it is fairly straightforward. I must admit, I thought the uh, the third one, the booster one, seemed to have more of a kind of slightly more negative effect on me than the first two. But maybe that's just me. And who knows what could happen with respect to the whole thing. It's uh, currently a score of, I think, uh, AstraZeneca 2, Pfizer 1. But, uh, you know, it's not a football match. Although I think uh, uh, Patrick uh, used to actually use footballing analogies. But what the hey. Uh, Kishan, it's been tremendous connecting with your good self. Continue your excellent work in terms of saving lives. Keep on keeping on. And all the very best. Thank you for having me, Alex. Speak to you soon. So, New Year's resolutions. One of them might well be financial fitness, and indeed a, a good thing to be had by all if you actually focus on that. And who better to actually talk about improving financial fitness than that legendary financial journalist extraordinaire, <laughs> Iona Bain. How are you, Iona? Good to see you as ever. I'm great, Alex. How are you? Very good indeed. And we've also got the, uh, the wonderful Johnny Black with us. How are you, Johnny? Not bad, thank you. Excellent. Uh, Iona, just talk us through this particular finding that kind of, I mean, we're still in the pandemic, obviously, but we're sort of moving through it, to uh, to quote a phrase. Uh, people are determined to improve their financial health in this, the year of three twos. Yeah, Alex. Well, I mean, what's really interesting is that despite all the challenges out there right now, rising energy bills, inflation and so on, um, you know, more than half of us are determined to improve our financial health in 2022. And for nearly half of us, that means investing money this year, maybe for the first time. Um, and that's equivalent to around 19 million people in the UK. Um, and I think the reasons why people want to take care of their financial health is really interesting. So again, Aberdeen's found that three in five believe taking care of their financial health could help them to support others. And that's something I definitely agree with. You can't pour from an empty cup. You've got to be able to look after your own financial interests and build up your own financial resilience so that you can look after your loved ones and be active in your community and, and be productive there. Um, also, almost seven in 10 see the benefit that it could bring to their overall health, happiness and wellness. So this isn't just about making money. This is about trying to be um, there for other people. It's about trying to improve your overall well-being, but also it's about trying to have a positive impact on society. And more than half believe that that 
is possible. Um, and this year, more than half of people who are going to invest are going to do so in a way that will align with their values, whether that's, you know, focusing more on how we can uh, make that transition to uh, net zero or just, you know, uh, investing in companies that treat their work as well. So, um, yeah, despite all the challenges that are going on out there, it's really encouraging to see so many people trying to make a difference in their finances. I see that 37% of UK adults currently hold money in stocks, shares or bonds. I mean, Johnny, from your own perspective, is that, I mean, that's just over a third. Obviously, lots of room there, nearly two thirds that, that could obviously invest. Or is it a case of people are still a little, little bit uncertain when it comes to finances? So I, d- I definitely think there are barriers to investment. And I think that's one of the sort of roles Aberdeen and the, the broader sort of financial industry has to play in terms of getting people more comfortable and confident taking control of their investment um, so I think you know 36% of people don't trust the the investment market and the risk that it can generate that's you know there's the big bad investment market is it risky but actually a lot of that comes down to what they know about it you, you hear all these stories but actually if we can educate people more then as you say the the scope for people to come into the investment market to benefit from it both kind of at an individual level with that risk and return trade-off, but also more societal and what it can do for the community and really play into the power of investment, make money work harder, drive better outcomes in the broadest sense, then that's that's the role we want to play. And Iona, I know we've spoken many a time about financial education and making sure that people are feeling more in control of the whole system. But is that also part and parcel of the whole thing where people see a survey like this and say, well, I want to be healthier, but I want to actually make those savings. And they don't realise sometimes how easy it can be. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, some people obviously feel more confident and able to start investing than others at the moment. We've come out of this very tough period. And I think, interestingly, again, this research from Aberdeen shows that actually there's a very real gender gap when it comes to investing. Around a third of women planning to invest this year compared to over half of all men. And so we have to figure out what the barriers to investing are. Um, But as you say, Alex, a lot of it is to do with um, not necessarily having that knowledge and not being educated about money and specifically investing. Um, So for instance, you know, 36% of people say they don't trust the risk of investments. And, you know, 24% think it's only uh, available to those with lots of money and I know that's not true Um, those are two kind of misconceptions that I think we really need to try and dispel around investing yes it is risky Um, it's riskier than putting your money in the bank Um, but there's a reason for that you know you are putting your money out there in into the real economy into progress innovation companies doing good finding solutions to problems Um, And especially right now with the challenges that we're seeing with the climate, we especially need to be thinking about those companies that are helping to fund greener energy, for instance. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I think that, you know, yes, investing can be risky. And unfortunately, we are seeing lots of people maybe taking a bit too much risk. I'm I'm a little bit concerned about the statistic um, that shows 39 percent of those aged 18 to 24 have invested in cryptocurrency. Um, I'm hoping that that's not the only investment that they're making. Hopefully they have got a kind of more diversified portfolio Uh, but you know ultimately life is about taking smart calculated risks you've got to be in it to win it and historically the stock market has 
over most timeframes perform better than cash. Um, and I think more and more people are starting to understand this. And you can start investing with, you know, two and three figure sums now. It is possible to, to start investing even if you haven't got a massive windfall from your mega rich granny. That's not how it works. So, Johnny, taking those first baby steps and actually going to make those investments and not putting all one's proverbial eggs in the proverbial crypto basket, uh, what advice would you actually sort of say could be uh, provided for uh, the the listener who's sort of just thinking, okay, Iona's convinced me, I'm going to go for this? I think, first of all, if if you are not confident in making those kind of decisions, then, you know, professional financial advice is, is gate one. Obviously, there are, you know, costs and things involved in that but I think if, if you're not confident then that is that is kind of step one if you do feel that you are confident then it's research information work out what is important to you particularly work out what your time horizon is so are you looking to get a return tomorrow then the stock market's probably not the right answer are you looking at a long-term play here is it you know five plus years then you're in the kind of the right sort of ballpark for what this what this might look like and then it's around within that period what risk are you willing to kind of play with some some investments are more volatile than others they're going to go up down they might go up a lot down a bit and it changes every day and you've got to resist the temptation to be kind of and i'm i'm guilty of this so i'll kind of admit my my sins now you know you, ch- you check your values every day and you think oh what if you, you've just got to let it you've got to you've got to be comfortable that you've made the right decision at the start you put the time the energy the expertise in at the start to make those calls and then you you kind of write it out, you, you rely on your past self and, and the decision you made there. Iona, let's uh, finish off with uh, the best places to actually sort to seek out online for both Aberdeen um, and of course your own good self. Yeah, well, you can just look up Aberdeen. Um, it rebranded recently, so it's A-B-R-D-N. Um, and if you want to find me, I'm on Twitter at Iona Young Money. And I wrote a book all about this um, whole subject recently called Own It, How Our Generation Can Invest Our Way to a Better Future. Iona Bain, financial journalist extraordinaire and all-round great blogger too. Uh, and uh, Jonathan Black from, of course, Aberdeen, director of Aberdeen. Uh, many thanks indeed. And uh, Happy financial health in 2022, folks. And you also, Alex. You put on your coat, high.